Welcome to Oncology Morning Commute. Should HER3 be considered a tumor agnostic target in breast and lung cancer? In this episode, a review of trial data on HER3 in non-small cell lung cancer and breast cancer, Dr. Helena Yu and Dr. Joyce O'Shaughnessy discuss the clinical trial data on HER3-directed therapies for breast and lung cancer. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Senkyo. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash HER3Agnostic2. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Yu is an Associate Attending Research Director of the Thoracic Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. Dr. O'Shaughnessy is a breast medical oncologist and the Celebrating Women's Chair and Breast Cancer Researcher at Baylor University Medical Center and is also Chair of the Breast Cancer Research Committee for Texas Oncology and the Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Dallas, Texas. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Yu will begin our discussion. Dr. O'Shaughnessy, thank you for joining me again. Um, HER3-directed therapies are being studied in both breast and lung cancer, and this really is an emerging field of very exciting novel therapeutics. Um, Let's again look at our respective fields. I will lay the groundwork and tell you briefly the treatment landscape for lung cancer, and then I'd hope you would reciprocate with breast cancer, and then we can talk about the HER3 data. Um, So for lung cancer, uh, for metastatic lung cancer, the first important thing is looking for driver mutations, and we do that through uh, molecular uh, sequencing, next-generation sequencing. So if a patient has a driver mutation, of course, we'd begin with uh, one of the FDA-approved targeted therapies. If patients don't have a driver mutation, uh, then we look to PDL1 expression um, to help dr- uh, direct care. If patients are PDL1 high, um, so a uh, PDL1 expression of greater than 50%. Um, we often pr- proceed with single agent immunotherapy. Um, and then if P- patients are PDL1 low, um, then we um, think about chemotherapy, immunotherapy as our standard of care. Uh, for EGFR mutant lung cancer, which is the most relevant subset uh, for these HER3 directed therapies, our standard of care first line treatment really is um, osimertinib, which is a third generation EGFR TKI. And once patients develop resistance to osimertinib, we biopsy, look for mechanisms of resistance. Um, But then second line standard of care really is cytotoxic platinum-based chemotherapy. Um, How would you describe the treatment landscape for breast cancer? That was a great summary because I know it's a complicated area. Um, We have three major subtypes of metastatic breast cancer, HR positive, HER2 negative, triple negative, and then HER2 amplified. Um, And they each have their treatment algorithms. Um, The HER2 amplified breast cancer, we we biopsy along the way to make sure we have the cancers retained. The HER2 amplicon is still being driven by um, HER2 because some of the triple positives with both ER and HER2, they're actually biphenotypic. And so you can have some cancer, part of the cancer be really driven by ER and part by HER2. But for the most part, we don't rely very much on ctDNA or molecular evolution in HER2-positive breast cancer. We target HER2 consistently 
with antibodies, with tyrosine kinase inhibitors, now increasingly with antibody drug conjugates. And these patients can live a great many years because we, we know that driving target and um, we can basically um, inhibit the, um, the, the growth of these uh, HER2 positive breast cancers, sometimes for many, many years, five, six plus years. Um, in triple negative breast cancer, unfortunately, it's the opposite story, median survival in around 16 months. And we do, like you in small, non-small cell, we have to find the 40% of patients um, in the first line because the immune checkpoint inhibitors don't work well outside of the first line, but we can improve survival in the 40% with chemotherapy who have overexpression of PDL one So we need to find that. We also need to find germline BRCA1, 2, and PALB2 mutations because we, we do use PARP inhibitors in these patients are very, very effective. And now there's some data emerging for somatic mutations in BRCA1 or 2, but it's still early, early days. But then triple negative breast cancer, we do have two antibody drug conjugates that are, can be very helpful and both can improve survival in, in metastatic TMBC. After that, we do have some cytotoxic therapies that can um, improve survival, but unfortunately, responses are quite short. This is a very virulent disease um, that becomes very widely metastatic, including the brain very, very quickly. We need, we need more targets um, in triple negative breast cancer. In, in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancers um, that are metastatic, we know right away that the first line is always a CDK4-6 inhibitor with endocrine therapy. But after that selective pressure, particularly with an aromatase inhibitor with a CDK4-6 inhibitor driven by apobec mutagenesis, we get a whole bunch of resistance um, mutations that come out that we must know about with serial um, liquid biopsy, CTDNA, or serial uh, tumor biopsies, such as ESR1 mutations as common as 50 plus percent. PIK3CA mutations are actually truncal. They're present about 40% of breast cancers, AKT mutations, P10 loss, HER2 activated mutations, HER3 activated mutations. Um, these are probably the most common, but there are a great many um, others. We need to know that because we have um, targeted therapies against these mutations after um, progression on a CDK4-6 inhibitor. Um, and then we're, we're looking to see if we can recycle a different CDK4-6 inhibitor. The answer is probably going to be uh, yes. We try to use endocrine therapy, either monotherapy or combination therapy against driving mutations for as long as we possibly uh, can. We're still learning very much how to sequence these effectively. And then we have to go on to cytotoxic therapy. And increasingly, we're turning to antibody drug conjugates. We need um, to find our HER2 low patients, which is about 70 plus percent of our HR positive HER2 negative patients are HER2 low. So we can utilize um, trastuzumab deruxtecan. And for the HER2 zeros or um, after trastuzumab deruxtecan, we can use sasituzumab, you know, the antibody drug conjugate against a trope 2. So this is a very, very um, important strategy. And then we have um, other cytotoxic, cytotoxic therapies that can also improve survival of uh, patients. So, but it's, it's generally sequential single agent cytotoxic. So, um, but the advent of being able to do next-gen sequencing um, cost-effectively on tumor tissue and these liquid biopsies to be able to track the clonal evolution of the cancer is just really just completely changing how we approach these um, these cancers. So, so let's um, let's talk, um, Doctor, you about um, her three as a therapeutic um, target. 
What's going on in lung cancer? How, how is that evolving in terms of um, activity say, signals? Absolutely. So I think first to mention, you know, uh, you are a little more fortunate to have more than one ADC that is currently available in breast cancer. We really only have trastuzumab, Derek Stecan, and that is actually only improved in a very narrow segment patients that have HER2 exon 20 mutant um, uh, lung cancer. So that's only one or 2% of lung cancers. And so we really are in desperate need of more effective um, therapies uh, beyond cytotoxic chemotherapy that could be effective for a large um, subset of our of our patients. And so, you know, HER3, because um, it is known to be relevant in oncogenesis and is associated with poor prognosis, there's been a lot of interest in looking at HER3-directed um, therapy within lung cancer. And so uh, historically, that has been primarily uh, monoclonal naked antibodies against HER3. Um, and so the, several of those have been looked at um, in lung cancer with really not a clear signal of efficacy. I think not very many responses, um, maybe some stable disease, um, but really not showing a signal of, um, you know, that, that, would, that resulted in further development. But I think that has changed with these antibody drug can, con conjugates. In terms of HER3-directed therapy in lung cancer, um, the sort of first uh, to class and market um, has been patritumab, Derek's TCAN. So maybe as a quick review, you know, antibody drug conjugates are a new kind of type of um, uh, cancer-directed therapy. Um, I call them a hybrid between chemotherapy and targeted therapy um, when I explain that to my patients. And, and really there is uh, an antibody that is, um, you know, directed towards a specific protein target on the cell surface. There is a linker. Um, and then there is a cytotoxic chemotherapy payload. Um, so HER3-DXD or petritumab-DXD-CAN um, includes the HER3-monoclonal antibody petritumab that's linked to a topoisomerase 1 inhibitor payload. Um, and that is the same payload as trastuzumab-DXD-CAN or detapotumab-DXD-CAN. Um, so those are all being looked at in lung cancer. Um, so the initial study uh, was a phase one dose escalation and dose expansion study. Um, and this initiated back, I think, in 2017, um, where escalating doses of HER3-DXD, uh, which is an intravenous therapy given every three weeks, uh, was assessed. And this was primarily focused on EGFR mutant lung cancer, although the dose expansion did include um, some EGFR wild type um, uh, subgroups as well. Um, and so in, in total, um, 57 patients with EGFR mutant lung cancer after progression on an EGFR TKI and chemotherapy were enrolled. And the um, overall response rate was 39% um, with a median PFS of 8.2 months. And so really compared quite favorably to cytotoxic platinum-based chemotherapy, which would be our standard um, option and certainly much more favorably than kind of our second line chemotherapy, which is actually single agent docetaxel, which has a response rate of 10% and a PFS of only two to three months. And so um, a lot of excitement about um, HER3-DXD. And so um, after that phase one study, um, the phase two herthina lung one study uh, was initiated. And this again was similar population of patients with um, metastatic EGFR mutant lung cancer, um, specifically with exon 19 deletions, 
or L858R. Um, they needed to have had prior platinum-based chemotherapy. Um, and the dose that was focused on was the 5.6 mg uh, per kg Q3 week dosing that was identified in the, the uh, phase one study. And so this was a much larger study where um, 225 uh, patients uh, were enrolled. Um, in regards to efficacy, um, the response rate was um, approximately 30%, 29.8% in all comers. Uh, the PFS was, the median PFS was 5.5 months and the median survival 11.9 months. Um, they did look at uh, different subgroups to see if there were specific subgroups that did appear to have increased benefit, but um, you know, it really did not seem like a, a specific subgroup stood out. This was effective in patients with brain metastases. And then I think a really important point, at least for EGFR mutant lung cancer, is that this medication um, kind of transcended different mechanisms of resistance and so uh, to, to osimertinib. And so uh, when we rebiopsy patients post osimertinib, we can see on-target resistance mechanisms or acquired EGFR alterations. We can see off-target resistance, which includes metamplification, KRAS mutations, ALG fusions, um, or we can see um, histologic transformation, um, which is changed to adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. Um, those patients were excluded from this study, but um, patients with both on-target and off-target, as well as unknown resistance mechanisms, really had similar benefit um, to um, patritumab, Derek's TKN. And, and this is helpful because I think there is no dominant mechanism of resistance to osimertinib. And so uh, a, a targeted therapy that is applicable to the vast majority of patients post-TKI um, is, uh, you know, desirable. And, you know, one of the things, so HER3 expression was not required um, at, as a inclusion criteria for the study, um, but patients did have to have um, uh, available archival tumor material to look for HER3 expression. And, and we really did not see um, any um, trends or association with degree of HER3 expression and uh, response to targeted therapy. And I'm curious to see if that's the same in, in breast cancer. Um, and then in terms of toxicity, um, really, it, it, you know, it was, um, it has cytotoxic properties. And so we do see cytopenias, nausea, fatigue, alopecia uh, to some degree. And, uh, you know, rarely, it is also a class effect to have some interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis um, with these ADCs, which was relatively low at about 5% um, within lung cancer. But, you know, it's, it's a drug that we're very interested in and, and, and hopefully will ultimately get approved for our patients. Um, in terms of other agents in this class, I think um, there is one, you know, one other drug that uh, HER3 ADC, um, it's actually called BLBO1D1, um, which is a HER3 and EGFR ADC. Um, the initial phase one was presented at ASCO this year, 2023, um, and did show to be quite efficacious in various solid tumors, including lung cancer and including um, EGFR mutant lung cancer. So I suspect that there will be additional Me Too drugs that um, we'll uh, explore this HER3 space. Um, so that was a, a mouthful, but I'm very curious to sort of see where um, HER3 targeted agents are in breast cancer.
Well, we have a lot of um, parallels, um, Doctor. That was that was really a wonderful, wonderful um, summary. And our um, there have been studies as well of um, just monoclonal antibodies against HER three, and there ha it's been just very modest activity, usually in combination with chemotherapy. Um, we conducted a study of chemotherapy plus minus an antibody against HER three. Um, and, and breast cancer, but there really wasn't any substantial improvement in the pathologic complete response rates in an unselected population. So, but with the patritumab, you know, the antibody drug conjugate with the deruxacan conjugated to HER3, which has the bystander effect, um, really the question is, do you need to assess for the target? Should you only be given patritumab, the anti-HER3 uh, anti antibody drug conjugate in patients who you can actually measure HER3 by IHC. And we're still in evolution trying to um, understand that I think we would say right now the answer is you probably don't need the target there because um, it appears to work for pretty much all comers um, and also across subtypes um, so far, particularly in triple negative breast cancer and HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer. So. But let me just, um, I'll just kind of summarize some of the data that have been generated so far with the um, patritumab anti-HER3 uh, DXD ADC. And so I think the first trial to come to our consciousness in metastatic breast cancer was reported by um, Ian Krop, then at Dana-Farber, now at uh, Yale, looking at um, patritumab in a phase one, two study. They did look at triple negative patients and um, HR positive HER2 negative patients, but and they were a heavily pretreated group, um, and they did want to see some level of HER3 expression, and they divided it into high levels of expression or low levels of expression, and it was just the ADC given every three uh, weeks, and it was a phase one, so it was dose finding, and um, essentially, if you look, you put look at all the patients there was a response rate of approximately 30%. It was a little bit higher or lower in some of the subsets that were looked at, some of the dose levels that were looked at. But if you look across in this heavily pretreated population, about 30% response rate, which is really very respectable um, in a very heavily pretreated population. But it, you really could not say that the um, level of um, objective response was higher in patients with the HER3 high expression compared to the HER2 or the HER3 low expression. Um, the median progression-free survival, again, varied um, from up to you know, eight and a half months down to two and a half, three months. But we put it all together, it would be probably around six months median PFS in a very heavily pretreated population. Again, different dose levels. But the, the message that came out was HER3 expression may not matter. Number two, this appears to be broadly active in really heavily pretreated triple negative and HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer, where mechanisms of resistance have really become dominant um, in these cancers. And it appears that HER3 is playing a role, an important role, because it is, it's on the uh, plasma membrane. It's on the plasma membrane, so it can bind to patritumab and um, can internalize and kill the cell and then have a, have a bystander effect on cells that may not have much in the way of HER3. So then, We've had a couple of other studies um, done with patritumab, and one was the phase two um, Icarus breast 01 
trial. And this was in patients with HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer, not selected for HER3 expression, who had progressed on multiple lines of treatment, including CDK4-6 inhibitors, chemotherapy, very heavily pretreated patients. Here, interestingly, the response rate was 28.6%. It was basically um, 30%, as was seen in Crops J101 trial. 16 patients had an objective response, partial response, and then an additional 30 patients had stable disease and 10 patients progressed. It was 56 patients uh, total. Um, and so that also was uh, corroborated the J101 uh, trial, very, very interesting. And that was unselected for HER3 expression. There was a very interesting trial done by the SOLTI uh, group um, looking, it was called the SOLTI TOT-HER3 trial. Very interesting, it was a window of opportunity trial in patients with HR positive, HER2 negative breast cancer, untreated, newly diagnosed patients, a single dose of patritumab um, IV, looking at clinical response, but also looking at what happens to immune cell infiltration and what about suppression of proliferation, which we know is a good surrogate for um, eventual improvement in disease-free survival in the um, adjuvant setting. And um, this was presented at ESMO 2023 very, very recently. And they looked at paired biopsies, biopsies at baseline and biopsies post-treatment with a single dose of the patritumab. And they saw statistically significant improvement, substantially decreased cellularity and increase in tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. There's a score called the CELL-TIL, cell for cellularity and TIL for tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. They have a score that combines those loss of cellularity, increased uh, tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, um, and was statistically significantly uh, changed um, with one dose of the, with an increase of immune cell infiltration with the patritumab. The overall response rate was um, 32%. They actually, in this part of the study, also had a triple negative cohort, uh, an HR positive HER2 negative cohort and a triple negative cohort. Um, that And the uh, response rate with regard to a partial response uh, with the single, single dose was 35% in triple negative breast cancers and 30% in HR positive HER2 negative breast cancer. That's absolutely remarkable for one dose of a therapy preoperatively, they showed no association between um, baseline HER3 levels and response to therapy or the cell TIL, the, cellul the cellularity and tumor infiltrating lymphocyte biomarker. No, no correlation between HER3 um, expression. Very, very fascinating. And then lastly, we've had presented at ASCO 2023 by Erica Hamilton, a, um, a, a trial of patritumab in patients with HR positive, HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer, a triple negative breast cancer, and then there's also a cohort of HER2 amplified patients. We have not seen the data yet in HER2 amplified patients, but the patritumab is being evaluated for efficacy across all three metastatic uh, subsets. So um, in the triple negative, and the um, HER2, the HER3 
I'm sorry, the HR positive HER2 negative patients, the overall response rate in a heavily pretreated group of patients was 35%, and a clinical benefit rate was um, 48%. It had a really striking a waterfall plot, um, very, very impressive in both HR positive and HER2 negative patients and triple negative patients. And they actually divided the patients based on HER3 expression. HER3 high expression was more than 75% of the cells positive and HER2 um, low expression was between 25% and 74%. And then they had a, had a group as well that was um, ultra low. They actually did show data in this trial for 13 patients with HER2 positive breast cancer. And they also had a kind of a striking uh, response to uh, the, the patritumab. It was really very, very, um, uh, very uh, interesting uh, to see this. And, and these responses were also durable. Looking at the swimmers plot, they were also really quite um, uh, durable. And looking at the HER3 membrane expression, more than 75% or 25 to 74%, um, the, the response rates and the clinical benefit rates really didn't really didn't matter that you could tell um, appreciably. And um, so that was, it's another piece of data that the level of HER3 expression likely is not gonna correlate with, um, with response uh, rates, uh, at least um, so far. There's also a group, there was only four patients that had membrane expression less than 25%. Uh, the response rate in those patients was 50%. And, um, and the response rates with those who had HER3 high expression was about 33%. And in those in the intermediate 25 to 74%, the response rates were, were in about the 40% or so. So really no correlation um, at all. So what we're seeing with very few patients having low, low levels of HER3 expression, that most breast cancers are sort of significantly overexpressing it. You're, you're getting cells, at least 25 to 74% of your cells um, positive and also, or um, actually there were more patients that had very high levels of the um, HER3 um, expression. And then if you look now at, if you break it down by HR positive, HER2 negative versus triple negative patients, here we saw um, a response rate of 41% in the HR positive patients and of 21% in the triple negative patients. So there was a suggestion that the HR positive HER2 negative patients may benefit more than um, the triple negative uh, patients. And so this was really a very positive trial. Like I said, the waterfall plots were really quite striking. It, it kind of brought to mind the TDXD, trastuzumab, deruxtecan, you know, for the HER2 low patients. It had a similar um, look, the very impressive uh, waterfall plot. So this was a very, um, and the toxicities, which I know we'll, we'll be talking about in more depth here, the toxicities were actually manageable in this population. You know, really very few patients had to discontinue therapy or have a dose reduction. Um, and so it was really a, quite, a, quite a, safe, a safe therapy. So uh, very, very um, important. So what's going to happen in lung cancer, Dr. Yu, in terms of taking your initial data forward for further development? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think initially, uh, Patricia Nabderic-Seekin really has focused on uh, EGFR mutant lung cancer post-TKI and post-chemotherapy. So 
I suspect the initial approval will be there. Um, but then there is, of course, interest in expanding that. You know, there's no reason to think that um, it would only be active in that space. And so there are certain kind of uh, planned studies that will look at um, HER3DXD in a larger population. But really exciting for us to have a ADC really uh, approved for a, a larger subgroup. What about for breast cancer? Um, I think the plans are still evolving um, with regard to um, phase three strategies with patritumab because we have such active agents with the trastuzumab, um, deruxtecan. But um, I believe we will end up seeing a phase three trial. Um, and I, I, I bet it will be non-cross resistant with some of our other um, ADCs. But I think that is still um, in development. But um, one trial that's very um, interesting that's ongoing now in the um, SALTI group is a preoperative study following up on their preoperative single dose preoperative study with patritumab. They're doing a, a non-comparative three-arm randomized trial in HR positive HER2 negative patients whose the cancers are elevated for proliferation of key 67, 20% or higher and or high genomic risk by one of the um, prognostic predictive gene signatures. And these patients are randomized preoperatively to a standard anthracycline taxane-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy versus patritumab, versus patritumab with endocrine therapy, with, with the aromatase inhibitor letrozole. So this is very, very interesting going into the curative setting. And these patients will have uh, equal durations of preoperative therapy, so multiple cycles of the patritumab prior to um, their, their surgery. So the primary outcome um, in this so-called Valentine uh, trial is um, pathologic complete response as it, as it is in most of our preoperative studies. So this is very, very interesting that we're already moving into the curative setting as we do very aggressively these days in breast cancer. Once we have a signal of very, very good activity in the metastatic setting, as well as in these window of opportunity preoperative uh, studies. Very, very exciting. And I look forward to hearing and seeing uh, you know, more mature data in that space. Thanks very much for a great discussion, Dr. O'Shaughnessy. Thank you too, really enjoyed it. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash her3agnostic2. You can find all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming service or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.